Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. The period of time was late 1836. Now, if you'll remember, this is a very unique period of time in church history because the prophet Joseph has been charged by the Lord with preparing the saints for the endowment of power that had been promised clear back in New York. And the Kirtland Temple is almost done in late 1836. And Joseph is working frantically to sanctify the saints and purify them to behold the face of the Lord and prepare them for the temple dedication right in the middle of that. And I won't go into detail, but Joseph has occasion to rebuke his brother, William, in a public setting. William took offense and then took a swing and it turned into a brawl. Can you imagine? the prophet of the Lord getting in a fist fight. But it happened, and it wasn't Joseph's fault. Well, suffice it to say, it kind of caused a division, not just within the Smith family, but others around. And it was a very difficult time when people accused Joseph of being a fallen prophet. Now, on one occasion during that, and I'm assuming this is late December 1836, Daniel Tyler happened to be in a meeting that Joseph was presiding over. And in those days, it was customary for the presiding elder to offer the invocation to open the meeting. Daniel Tyler records the following. At the time, William Smith and others rebelled against the prophet in Cartland. I attended a meeting on the flats where Joseph presided. Entering the schoolhouse a little before the meeting opened and gazing upon the man of God, I perceived sadness in his countenance and tears trickling down his cheeks. A few moments later, a hymn was sung, and he opened the meeting by prayer. Instead of facing the audience, however, he turned his back and bowed upon his knees facing the wall. This, I suppose, was done to hide his sorrow and tears. I had heard men and women pray, especially the former, from the most ignorant, both as to letters and intellect, to the most learned and eloquent. But never until then had I heard a man address his maker as though he was present listening as a kind father would listen to the sorrows of a dutiful child. Joseph was at that time unlearned, but that prayer, which was to a considerable extent in behalf of those who accused him of having gone astray or fallen into sin, was that the Lord would forgive them and open their eyes that they might see aright. That prayer, I say, to my humble mind, partook of the learning and eloquence of heaven. 
There was no ostentation, no raising of the voice as by enthusiasm, but a plain conversational tone as a man would address a present friend. It appeared to me as though, in case the veil were taken away, I could see the Lord standing, facing his humblest of all servants I had ever seen. And then Daniel concluded, it was the crowning of all the prayers I have ever heard. At the conclusion of the prayer, the prophet Joseph stood, composed himself, and began to speak. Daniel said he spoke of his many troubles and said he often wondered why it was that he should have so much trouble in the house of his friends. He wept as though his heart would break. And finally he said, The Lord once told me that if at any time I got into deep trouble and could see no way out of it, if I would prophesy in his name, he would fulfill my words. He then said, quoting, I prophesy in the name of the Lord that those who have thought me, thought I was in transgression, shall have a testimony this night that I am clear and stand approved before the Lord. End of quote. Daniel Tyler concluded by saying, The next Sabbath, William Smith and several others stood up and made humble confession before the public that Joseph was right before the Lord. You can tell a lot about a person by the real intent of their heart when they pray and what they pray for and who they pray for. Next story. This is one that I'm sure most of you have heard, but I want you to consider it again. In late October 1838, Joseph Smith and others were betrayed into the Missouri militia's hands. They were arrested and taken to Independence and then taken up to Richmond, Missouri, where they were to not stand trial, but to, to undergo a hearing to find out if there were sufficient charges against them to be bound over for trial. While they were there, along with about 50 to 60 other men, they were placed in an unfinished courthouse. They were open to the elements. It was a very miserable situation. And Parley P. Pratt was there, and he discussed and he describes the miserable situation that they were in, the unfinished courthouse being chained together and to the floor and open and exposed to the elements. And he says, that this continued from the 11th to the 28th of November. And he said, we were penned up in the cold, dreary courthouse. It was a very severe time of snow and winter weather, and we suffered much. The guards, and then he changes course, the guards were composed generally of the most noisy, foul-mouthed, vulgar, disgraceful rabble that ever defiled the earth. And then Parley gets to the story I'm sure you've all heard. In one of those tedious nights, we had lain as if in sleep till the hour of midnight had passed, and our ears and hearts had been pained 
while we had listened for hours to the obscene jests, the horrid oaths, the dreadful blasphemies, and filthy language of our guards. Colonel Price at their head, as they recounted to each other their deeds of rapine, murder, robbery, etc., which they had committed among the Mormons while at far western vicinity. Now, mind you, after Joseph and the others were arrested, the city of far west was taken over by the mobs. And to this day, as I'm sure historians will appreciate, I've never dared tell the depth and the breadth of the atrocities that the mobs foisted upon the saints when they conquered the city of Far West and took the people captive and then drove them from the state by virtue of the governor's extermination order. It exceeds the imagination. When Joseph would later say their deeds would make the devil's hands tremble and palsy, he wasn't kidding. And now here they are in the jail, the same guards, the same men, boasting, and I'll continue with the quote, they boasted of defiling by force wives, daughters, and virgins, and of shooting or dashing out the brains of men, women, and children. Parley said, I had listened until I became so disgusted, shocked, horrified, and so filled with the spirit of indignant justice that I could scarcely refrain from rising upon my feet and rebuking the guards, but had said nothing to Joseph or anyone else, although I lay next to him and knew he was awake. On a sudden, Parley continues, Joseph arose to his feet and spoke in a voice of thunder, or as the roaring lion uttering, as near as I can recollect, the following words. Silence, ye fiends of the infernal pit. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you and command you to be still. I will not live another instant and hear such language. Cease such talk, or you or I die this instant. Parley said he ceased to speak. He stood erect in terrible majesty chained and without a weapon, calm, unruffled, and as dignified as an angel, he looked upon the quailing guards whose weapons were lowered or dropped to the ground, whose knees smote together, and who, shrinking into a corner or crouching at his feet, begged his pardon and remained quiet till the change of guards. Then Parley stands back and as it were, waxes eloquent. He said, I have seen the ministers of justice clothed in magisterial robes and criminals arraigned before them while life was suspended on a breath. In the courts of England, I have witnessed a Congress in solemn session to give laws to nations. I have tried to conceive of kings, of royal courts, of thrones and crowns, and of emperors assembled to decide the fate of kingdoms. Dignity and majesty I have seen but once, as it stood in chains at midnight in a dungeon in an obscure village of Missouri. My dear brothers and sisters, Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. Men could do to him 
whatever they chose, and the Lord would allow it to respect their agency. But I witness to you that the power of Almighty God was with him. Most of the world considers that the ability to foretell the future is the sure sign of a prophet. And I suppose in a measure, perhaps that's in part true. But just so you understand that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God in every worthy sense of the word, this account comes from Philo Dibble. I hope that Philo has one of his descendants out there listening because that man, Philo Dibble, is a wealth of wonderful stories from church history. Philo Dibble was born in Massachusetts and joined the church October 16, 1830, in Kirtland. In fact, he joined the church in Kirtland before the prophet Joseph Smith ever arrived there. Philo recounts the following. He said, on one occasion, Joseph was preaching in Kirtland sometime in the fall of 1833. Actually, it was like October, late October of 1833. Quite a number of persons were present in the meeting, some of whom, I'm just paraphrasing, were not members of the church. In that congregation was one man listening who was more bitter and skeptical than all of the others, and as you well understand, he was one of those who all he could do was find fault. He made a note with a pencil and paper of a prophecy that Joseph uttered on that occasion. Joseph said, can you imagine, quote, 40 days shall not pass and the stars shall fall from heaven, end of quote. Now, that's an unusual prophecy. And this man caught it wrote it down, considering in his mind that it was sure evidence that would prove that Joseph Smith was a fallen prophet. Well, the man returned to his home. Time went on. 39 days passed. Two men, one by the name of Joseph Hancock and another, left Kirtland proper and went out into the forest hunting. Now they got lost. And as darkness fell, they found the cabin of the skeptic. And they knocked on the door, and they asked for lodging. The man invited them in, and they identified themselves. And after finding out who, and more importantly, what they were, the man produced the piece of paper with Joseph's prophecy, exulting over it, and said, what do you think? Think of your fallen prophet now. Brother Hancock was unmoved and quietly remarked, quote, There is one night left of the time, and if Joseph said so, the stars will certainly fall tonight. End of quote. Well, everybody went to bed but the matter weighed on Brother Hancock, and it troubled him. The account is not quite clear, but evidently he got out of bed that night and went outside. And as he did so, it wasn't long before he came back in and woke up his skeptical but courteous host and invited him to come outside. 
and quoting Philo Dibble, quote, The whole heavens were lit up with the following falling meteors, and the countenance of the spectator, of the skeptic, was plainly seen and closely watched by Brother Hancock, who said that he turned as pale as death and spoke not a word. Not long afterwards, that man, the skeptic, asked to see Joseph and Hiram Smith, invited them to his house. They came. They paid him a visit. Philo says, with no noticeable results, for I believe he never received the gospel. That night of falling stars, and that's what it came to be called, the night of the falling stars, occurred in late October 1833. It was an international event. It was noticed, written up in the history books. And interestingly enough, on that exact same night of the falling stars, or that period of the falling stars, I believe the first night, it was witnessed by a small band of suffering, sacrificing refugees in the river bottoms of the Missouri in Jackson County, Missouri. Our people were driven out by the mobs. And as a sign to them that God was still there and watching, the night of the falling stars occurred at the same time. Joseph Smith was a prophet. There are numerous prophecies that stand fulfilled from the prophet Joseph. This next one, I think I may have alluded to this clear back when we first started, when there weren't very many of you watching. This story, for some reason, goes beyond the prophet Joseph to me. I don't know why, but anyway, you judge for yourself. If I've told it before, I'm sorry, but this just seems to me to epitomize the prophet Joseph. The year was 1905 in Spanish Fork, Utah, or as, they, as I've heard said, in Spanish Fark, Utah, and an aged general authority by the name of Zebedee Coltrane stood up and spoke in a gathering like a testimony meeting of high priests. And he said the following, and I quote, it was April 1834. I had just returned to Kirtland from serving a mission where I met the prophet Joseph Smith. Joseph asked me if I would go with him to a conference at New Portage, Ohio. I agreed to go and journeyed there with Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and Oliver Cowdery. Can you imagine going off to conference with the First Presidency? The next day, Zebedee said, Joseph seemed to have a far-off look in his eye as if he was looking off at something at a distance. And presently he, Joseph, stepped between brothers Cowdery and me, and taking us by the arm, he said, let's take a walk. We went to a place where there was some beautiful grass, grapevines, and swamp beach all interlaced. President Joseph Smith then said, let us pray. Zebedee says, we all three prayed in turn, Joseph, Oliver, and me. Brother Joseph then said, imagine this, 
Joseph then said, Now, brethren, we will see some visions. Joseph lay down on the ground on his back and stretched out his arms, and we lay on them. The heavens gradually opened, and we saw a golden throne on a circular foundation, something like a lighthouse. And on the throne were two aged personages, having white hair and clothed in white garments. They were the two most beautiful and perfect specimens of mankind we ever saw. Joseph said, They are our first parents, Adam and Eve. Zebedee would go on to describe, Adam was a large, broad-shouldered man, and Eve, as a woman, was as large in proportion. I suppose if I were to characterize myself, I'm pretty much common, ordinary, garden-variety, vanilla Latter-day Saint. I'm not a great intellect. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a super-spiritual individual. I'm pretty much just ordinary. But when I read stories like that, it's almost as if I can see Joseph. I can hear Joseph. I can feel Joseph. And it is as if he opens up the visions of my mind to a little bitty degree that I can see at his invitation what he was showing to others. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week. <laughs>